Hey, if you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, it's all right. The verses will be on the screen. We began a series last week, a brand new one, called Living Hope in a Hopeless World, from the book of 1 Peter. Peter was writing to Christians who were living in a pre-Christian world. The world had not yet embraced Christ, didn't even know who he was for the most part. And these people were living out this faith, and not always was it well-received. People would persecute them. They were going through difficult times. And Peter would write to them to encourage them to stay strong. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he begins to focus in on the source of this living hope that we have, the hope rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the way Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Let's pray together. Father, this is a hope that's real, a living hope for a hopeless world. People are grabbing on the straws of all kinds for their eternal future, but there's only one that's a true and living hope. And today we have assurance because what we're celebrating is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And as we open up this word today, God, build in us that deep abiding and lasting hope, a living hope for a hopeless world. And we'll thank you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Many of you may have heard of Larry King or even watched his show, Larry King Live. For years, it was a mainstay on CNN. It was a news show and a talk show. Well, a few years ago, a short while ago, actually, Larry King was let go from his show. Last fall, they did an interview with him in the New York Times where they asked him a bunch of questions. And during that interview, he happened to mention that he was obsessed with death, which was a very surprising statement. He said his day begins with reading obituaries. He ponders who will give the eulogy at his funeral. He smiles as he thinks that it might be Bill Clinton, and then his face becomes blank. But I won't be there to hear it. He's had a heart attack, quintuple bypass, prostate cancer, diabetes, and seven divorces. He was 77 years old when the television show CNN dropped him. And when this happened, he said he became acutely aware of the reality that someday he's going to die. To move against this aging and death, he said, he takes hormone pills for human growth, four of them every day. He plans on his body to be frozen so that someday he'll live again. The New York Times reporter said that Larry King admitted that this view is nuts, his words, but at least it gives him a shred of hope because he said other people have no hope. You know, when I read of that interview, I thought, how silly to put your hope in things like this. Even he admits it's nuts. But then I began to think, well, what about us? What are you putting your hope of eternity in? You see, according to people like Larry King, there's only two choices, false hope or no hope. But Peter offers, through Jesus Christ and the resurrection, a better choice, a living hope rooted in the historical resurrection that we're celebrating today on Easter. 
You see, as I mentioned, Peter was writing to give encouragement and hope to a bunch of Christians spread across northern Turkey who were living in a pre-Christian world and paying a great price to do it. And so he begins this section in a way you might not expect, not full of sorrow, but of praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter wrote to them and said, look, I know things are tough, but it's true. We have a hope, a living hope. Author and pastor Max Lucado once wrote that because of the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he said, my life is not futile, my sins are not fatal, and my death is not final. Jesus died for my sins. He was buried in a tomb. He was raised the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared. And that's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it was good news to Christians who were going through the ringer in the first century, and it's a good news message to Christians in the 21st century. Because Peter tells us that Christians have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is the living hope that's ours through the resurrection? That the new birth Jesus offers, he said, is real. And the inheritance Jesus promises is eternally secure. We have a living hope through the resurrection that the new birth Jesus offers is real. Peter put it like this in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In polls that are done year after year, people come back saying their number one enemy is still death, which is why it shouldn't surprise us that there are billionaires giving millions every year to defeat death itself. I was reading an article uh, from a piece by Natalie Tikiu. The article caught my attention. It was called, Billionaires Will Disrupt Death If It's the Last Thing They Do. And in that article, she said, we still can't stop the brute fact of death, but that isn't stopping five billionaires who are trying to lead the human race out of mortality. First, there's billionaire Peter Thiel, who has invested heavily in organizations like the SENS Foundation, S-E-N-S, which is devoted to developing rejuvenation biotechnologies. But he said, as of yet, nothing has quite panned out. It hasn't been successful. Then there's William Andrag, the founder of a Silicon Valley nanotechnology startup called Halkion Molecular, who claims that he plans to live, this is a quote, for millions, billions, hundreds of billions of years. Halkion Molecular, though, um, quietly went out of business. And then there's Russian transhumanist multimillionaire Dmitry Itzkov, who launched the 2045 initiative. You read about that one? He offers the promise that through his efforts, humans will be immortal by the year 2045. He says, it's just going to take a leap into artificial machine bodies. You hear what he's saying? I promise you'll be immortal by 2045, but we've got to figure out how to make this leap to make bodies that are machines that don't wear out. But the billionaire who brings the most fiery passion to the cause by far is Larry Ellison, who gives out more than $40 million a year to the Ellison Medical Foundation, 
to understand what he calls lifespan development processes. Now, according to Forbes magazine, he's got the money. Ellison's net worth is $43 billion. But recently, Ellison said, death makes me very angry. It doesn't make any sense to me. Death has never made any sense to me. How can a person be there and then just vanish, just not be there? And so these well-heeled five are spending millions every year to try to defeat death. You know, I don't want to sound arrogant or prideful or anything like that, but, you know, when I read that article, I thought, I wish these guys would just call me. <laughs> because I could save them a lot of heartache and millions of dollars. Because, you see, the truth is, death has already been defeated 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> so you want death defeated in your life? You want to take hold of eternal life? Then you come to Jesus. He's the real deal. In fact, you remember when Jesus was standing next to the tomb of his good friend Lazarus, a young man that had died prematurely by human standards? The grieving sisters, Mary and Martha, were wondering, Jesus, where were you? He's been dead four days. Remember what Jesus told them in John 11, verse 25? I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see, he told them, girls, look, I'm the resurrection. Yes, your brother's body died, but he's not dead. He lives. And more than that, those of you who believe in me, you're not going to die at all. Your body may die, but you never will. Death will never touch you because I'm the resurrection and the life. Then he said to them, do you believe this? Do you believe this? It always comes down to that, doesn't it? Do you believe? And they said to him, yes, Lord, we believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the promised one. Jesus said, you believe? Then I'll show you. Roll away the stone. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man walks out of the tomb alive. Because when life speaks, death obeys. And Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's the power of God in the new birth. And Peter reminded these believers, we have been given new birth into a living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You've been given new birth. You've been born again or born from above. Jesus tells them you were born once physically, but now you need to be spiritually made alive. You see, the problem is sin. That's a message Satan doesn't want us to hear. The problem is sin. Way back when Adam and Eve were here, that's a true story, by the way, all humanity has come from those two. Adam and Eve had everything perfect, and they decided they were going to rebel against God. It's the, it's the nature of human sin. We think we can do better on our own than we can with God. We take things in our own hand. We rebel against him, and that's sin. Sin entered the world to them, and sin has spread to all of us. And the problem is sin has a penalty. Paul told the Romans, the wages of sin is death. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. The wages of sin is death. Death is separation. 
God is life. To be separated from God due to sin is the very definition of death. Death is always about separation. Physical death is our soul and spirit separating from our body. Spiritual death is the state we're living in right now with sin in our life separated from God. And if we die physically while we're still dead spiritually, we're going to die eternally. We're going to be put away from God and we'll be eternally dead. But the good news is you don't have to die in your sins. Peter said we've been given new birth. You can be born again, spiritually made alive, and live forever with God. That's why John said in John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So people try all kinds of things to deal with their sin problem. Some people are religious and they think the religion will save them, but it won't. Some people are moral and they think the morality will save them, but it won't. Some people go to church and read their Bible and get baptized and take communion, do all kinds of religious things, and they think it'll save them, but it won't. People try to be good and they believe that's going to save them, but it won't. You remember in John chapter 3? Significant because a man by the name of Nicodemus came to see Jesus one night, and what's significant about it is this. Nicodemus was a very religious man, very sincere, very devout, very good, very moral. He taught the Bible. He was a Pharisee, a religious leader in Israel. He'd done everything religion told him to do. And he came to Jesus one night, empty inside, knowing something was missing, but he didn't know what. So he came to Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus told this good, religious, moral, righteous person who was walking with God the best he could in human righteousness? Nicodemus, I tell you, unless you are born again, you'll never see the, you'll never see the kingdom of God. You'll never make it. And it stunned him. It stuns a lot of people to find that out. And he said, how can I go back into the womb and be born again? Jesus said, you don't have to do that. You've already been born once physically. Now what you need is a spiritual birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, he said, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised when I tell you you must be born again. You see, sin kills the spirit. So we have no spiritual relationship with God. But when you believe God and what he says about your sin and your lostness and what he declares concerning life in his son, when you believe God, what he tells you, and you believe that Jesus died for the sin and was buried in the tomb and rose again, and he's alive, you ask this Jesus to save you, and he will. He comes to live in you. Your sin is forgiven. Your spirit is regenerated. You're brought into relationship with God. You have a new birth. You're spiritually alive. That's why Peter wrote later in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. See that? You believe what God said. And by that faith, you've been saved. And the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus guarantees that the new birth is real. That's why Paul, when he wrote the Corinthians church, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? 
If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. You want a worthless religion, try Christianity without a resurrection. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. People who die aren't alive. They're dead. They're lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, Paul was telling the Corinthians, look, if you believe God and put your hope in this word and it pans out that it isn't true, Christianity is the biggest worthless religion ever invented. But, verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. People, that's our hope our living hope, that we can have a new birth with sins forgiven, live forever with God, a real hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so here's the question on this or any Easter. Are you in Christ or are you still in your sins? Those who are in Christ have a living hope. Not only of the new birth, that it's real, but we have a living hope through the resurrection that the inheritance Jesus promises is eternally secure. For he went on to say not only the new birth, but we're given into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. If you've been around the church a while, you've heard me, you've more than heard me, you have endured through my many stories of being raised in rural New England. You're probably getting sick of the stories, but I got so many of them. <laughs> we were raised in a really good home. My mom and dad were hardworking people. They weren't on the higher income scale of things. In fact, we were probably lower middle class when I look back on it. And even though we had all the basics, there were at times not a lot of extras. And so sometimes I remember we'd ask for things and they would say things like, well, we can't really afford that right now. We don't really have the money for that right now. Now, when you're a little kid, that seems, thing, thing, that seems to be an irritation. When you get older, you realize, you know what, that's a good life lesson for all of us to learn. There are times where you just can't get certain things and you shouldn't. But as a kid, you don't think that way. So what I used to think about was, how am I going to get rich? And I used to have these dreams, I used to have these dreams of a rich uncle in Massachusetts who was going to die and leave me his inheritance. Now, in the dream, I wasn't sad about that because I didn't know this uncle. He just had a lot of money. When he died, he left it to me, and I was going to get it. And I think, wow, this is awesome. The problem was I don't have a rich uncle in Massachusetts or anywhere else for that matter. And so over time I began to realize that my hope of an inheritance was not a hope. It was just a dream. And then I became a Christian. I met Jesus. And I found out that in him 
I have an inheritance that literally is out of this world. And what I learned was that what I'd hoped for is going to be even better than I imagined. But it isn't going to come from my rich uncle in Massachusetts that I don't have. It's going to come from my father in heaven who I do have. And Peter told these hurting believers, be encouraged. You may be losing everything on planet earth, but God's got an inheritance for you that's going to make that pale by comparison. Peter told them that their inheritance is out of this world and eternally secure. He said in verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I love the word inheritance here and the other words Peter uses because in the original language, the people reading this, they would have known the full nuance of what he was saying. You see the word inheritance that he used? had to do with the inheritance that's yours by family connection. You know what that would have meant to them? God is your father. He's given you the inheritance. You have relationship with God. That's why you know this is secure. Your father's given this to you. And it's kept in heaven for you. What's significant about that word, it's written in the perfect tense, which reads something like this. You have it now, but the fullness of it you haven't seen or realized yet. But when you get there, you will. It's being held to be revealed until the last time. That's why Peter said, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. That shielded is really significant. It's written in the present passive, which means present you have it, but the passive is you can't do anything to affect it. You can't earn it, you can't keep it, you can't lose it. It has nothing to do with you. In fact, that's why he said it's kept by God's power through faith. Constantly guarded. Kept under a military guard are the literal words. God's power is in response to your faith in him and in his word, continually guarding your salvation inheritance until Jesus comes and fully reveals the salvation that you have received by believing in him. And don't worry, when you get there, it'll be there. Because he said, it'll never perish, it's incorruptible. It'll never spoil, it can't be defiled or contaminated, and it'll never fade. It will not diminish, it will not be used up, it'll not wear out. People, I know of folks who've gotten an inheritance and they've blown through that thing already, they got nothing left. God said, you don't worry about that. The inheritance I got for you is gonna last forever. It's gonna last forever. It's kept, preserved, guarded in heaven for you. And when you believe, he said, you're included in Christ. And he gives you the fullness of himself in the person of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Ephesians 1, verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Folks, I don't want to make light of the fact that people go through some pretty tough, time, pretty tough times here on planet Earth. But you realize what Peter's writing to these people? 
You who are losing everything, you who are losing your families, losing your health, losing your finances, losing your marriage, even losing your life. I want you to know that you have an inheritance you're never going to lose. In fact, when Paul wrote about it to, to the Corinthian church, he said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but things in this life. We fix our eyes on the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are temporary. But the things that are unseen, they're eternal. Peter said, you can't know fully the magnitude of this salvation inheritance you've received. But I assure you, when you get there, you will not be disappointed. The resurrection is the proof. It's our assurance. It's what sets Christianity apart from every religion and approach to God. I was at the grocery store the other day. Put all my groceries up on the belt. I was in a little bit of a hurry. Lady in front of me is checking out, and I hear her say to the checker guy, who happened to be a very nice, patient, gracious African-American man, I hear her say to the checker, well, I couldn't find it, so you ought to send somebody to get it for me. And I'm thinking, oh, great. <laughs> All the checkout lines, and I picked the one where she's going to do her shopping from the check stand. <laughs> so while we were waiting patiently, <laughs> I hear this lady strike up a conversation with the checker guy. And she says, can you believe what's going on in the world? The end has got to be near. I read of a volcano that's going to erupt and destroy us all. <laughs> and this very gracious checker man says, well, you know, ma'am, I don't worry about that because I believe God's in control. And I thought, way to go, buddy. <laughs> but she wasn't going to leave it there. That lady says, oh, so you're one of those religious people. You know, with that tone that lets you know, like, this ain't a good thing. <laughs> and this gracious man said, well, I believe in Jesus. She said, man, that's, that's sad. Do you know all religions are the same? They're all worthless. She said, I know that because I took an anthropology class, and they told me in there, that all religions have the same source. They're from Egyptian hieroglyphics. And the guy said, well, I believe the Bible is God's word. And I'm thinking, you go, bud. But she wouldn't drop it. She kept going. No, no, that, that ain't true. All religions are the same. I know it. They came from Egyptian hieroglyphics. And I couldn't take it anymore. I just couldn't take it. <laughs> I mean, I tried, but I, I, I just couldn't stand it. So I spoke up, respectfully, I hope, a little more forcefully or louder than I probably should have. And I said, ma'am, excuse me, excuse me, all religions are not the same. They're not. Jesus is Lord. He's God in the flesh. 
All religions are not the same. Whoever told you that garbage is either ignorant or they're lying to you. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He died for your sins. He rose again. He's alive and he's offering forgiveness to you. And I told her, the resurrection is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion and approach to God. Well, she went around the corner over to where she was going to be bagging. And she yells back, so, you Christians don't believe in DNA. I said, I said, DNA? I said, well, of course we believe in DNA. It's the basic building block of life. God made DNA. God, God uses DNA to make me, me, and you, you. It what makes us distinctly us. And I said, besides that, God made all of us. We were created in his image. She kept bagging her groceries, and she started railing back on us about all the atrocities Christians have ever done throughout history. I could barely believe what I was hearing. My brother at the check stand kept piping in, doing a great job. <laughs> and finally, she just went quiet. So did about three check stands around us. If everybody's just... <laughs> There's nobody talking. And I leaned over to the lady and I said, ma'am, I want you to know something. God loves you. He loves you. And that's why Jesus died for you, for your sins. He loves you. She wouldn't look at me. She didn't say anything. She just bagged her stuff and left. And I said to my brother at the check stand, I said, brother, we need to pray for this lady because she's lost. He said, yeah, she needs Jesus. You know, I don't blame that lady at all because I was just like her once. I believed all that garbage too. They keep pumping down our throats as though we're supposed to believe this without ever questioning. And people, all religions are not the same. They're not. And when people try to tell you that, don't, don't believe them. Every Easter I share the truth that all religions of the world are false except one. That's because all religions of the world except four are pure philosophy. They're invented by men. You can invent better religions than are out there. Of the four that aren't philosophy, they're based on the life and teaching of their founder. Judaism based on the life of Abraham. Buddhism based on the life of Siddhartha Gautama, the first Buddha. Islam based on the life of Muhammad and Christianity on the life of Jesus. People, the facts are these. Abraham died about 2,000 years before Christ. He was buried in a cave at Mechbelah next to his wife, Sarah. His body's still in the tomb. Siddhartha Gautama died at about 80 years old on a pilgrimage into the Himalayas to find the truth. That ought to tell you something if you're following him. He died there. He was buried in the village of Kusinar. His body's still in the grave. Mohammed died. June 8th, 632 A.D., the age of 62. They buried him in a tomb at Medina in western Saudi Arabia, north of Mecca. His body's still in the tomb. Jesus Christ died on or about April 6th, 30 A.D., at the age of 33. He was buried in a tomb in Jerusalem, sealed with a stone and guarded by soldiers to keep his body in the grave. But all efforts failed. His body isn't there. And do you know why? Because sin couldn't hold him. Death couldn't defeat him. The grave couldn't keep him. He's the resurrection and the life. He conquered sin, death, and the grave for us and rose again. 
and the tomb is empty because Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. And he's offering a new birth, a new birth that's real. We don't have to die in our sin. We can be newly born in Jesus Christ, spiritually made alive. We have an inheritance that we don't have to have a false hope or a no hope. We have a living hope and an inheritance that's eternally secure. And Paul told the Athenians in Acts 17, 31, he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. John Ortberg once said, people have gathered for the past, people have not gathered for the past 2,000 years to say, the stock market has risen, it has risen indeed. They've not gathered to say the dollar has risen, it has risen indeed. Or the employment rate has risen, or the gross domestic product has risen, or General Motors has risen, or even that my 401k has risen. Here's the one hope, he said, that has held up human beings across every continent and culture for two millennia of difficult times of poverty, disease, pain, hardship, and even death itself. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He's alive, and he's offering hope and new birth, forgiveness, and eternal life to those who believe. So people, what do you put in your eternity in? A false hope, no hope, or a living hope? Jesus Christ is the living hope. And when he comes to live in you, I'll tell you this, you'll know why Easter is a celebration. Father, I want to thank you today for this great truth. Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. And he's alive today. And he's offering hope and forgiveness and eternal life to those who will believe and receive him. For by grace we are saved through faith, and this not of ourselves. It is the gift of God.